Howdy, folks. Today, we are going to be talking about how God will not be handing out participation trophies. I don't want to get on a rant on this subject matter. I mean, there's all kinds of debates going on, and and giving people rewards for nothing is not new. Uh, there are debates that people have about whether you want to hurt young children who don't win championships by not giving them something for participating just for showing up. Uh, one article in February of 2023 in Psychology Today, it was the February 27th issue, had a section of the article that talked about celebrating effort gives children room to fail. Listen, when we start teaching children at youth that there are things that are acceptable. That's going to continue into their adulthood. We see that in the scriptures, that generations get worse when their parents teach them things that aren't good. And to think that this is something new, it's like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9, the thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. There may be different titles to things, but the idea of getting recognition for doing nothing is not a new thing. That's been around for thousands of years and is seen in different ways. You know, when I was young, there were children that were passed on to grades that shouldn't have been. That's not a new thing. I know it gets to be more known today, probably because we have social media and different things where people talk about things more openly and information gets spread more quickly. Uh, there are people that think, you know what, I'm entitled to this just because, you know, we live where uh, people get money from the government, welfare from the government for doing nothing. And a lot of those people feel entitled to it. And before you come back at me and say, you don't know what you're talking about, listen, buddy, I grew up in that. My mother was on welfare. We had food stamps. We lived in the housing projects for free. She did nothing. She was capable, abled body. Uh, but she made up reasons as to why uh, she would not or could not work, and she got in the system, and the system took care of us. We lived for free uh, at taxpayer money. I know what that looks like. I lived it, so don't, don't come back at me with this. And she had the mentality that the world owed her something. After I went and lived with my father, and she no longer got child support, welfare, and food stamps, etc., and my older brother was out on his own, she then all of a sudden became disabled and claimed disability and started getting SSI uh, from the government for all kinds of things that really weren't going on. She knew how to use the system, and she did not for one moment think that that was wrong. She felt entirely entitled uh, to what she got and how she got to live there. For years, with no children, she had a three-bedroom apartment in Steubenville, Ohio, all things provided for free, plus a monthly check that was more than minimum wage, free insurance, food stamps, and other types of handouts and government programs. And she was at the bars and doing different things with that money. It's just unbelievable. I've seen it. I know it and the entitlement that comes with it. And she will spend eternity in damnation because she had that mindset. Uh, I don't know her parents. Uh, when, when I was growing up, they were both dead. Uh, but somewhere along the line, she learned that. And somebody taught that to her. And she taught that to uh, us, thankfully. I uh, had to go live with my father. And my father, when I was a teenager, told me if I wanted to drive or I wanted this or that, I had to get a job. I'm glad he did that. He told me I had to work for things. And of course, the Bible teaches us. If any man will not work, neither should he eat. 2 Thessalonians 3.10. You're not entitled to anything. You must earn everything. And the Bible teaches us that. So wherever you are on the debate of participation trophies among youth, that's not necessarily what I want to talk about, though I could definitely go on and on and on and on for that. that that's not the point. We want to come to the Bible. We want to talk about the scriptures. And we want to talk about the world of religion because that's the focus of this podcast. And in the world of religion, there is this doctrine of participation trophies. For example, there are those who say, just receive Jesus into your heart and you'll be saved. No scripture says that. None. And that's it. That's all you got to do. You've done this one thing. You're a participant. 
you've showed up. There are others that will say, hey, as long as you quote unquote go to church. Now listen, you don't go to church. The church is the body of Christ. It's, it's uh, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. When you're talking about the church, you're talking about the body and the body is the members. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. You don't go to church, uh, and I know that that's a common uh, language, and it's rooted in this. Most people think a church is a building. They don't understand that the church is not a building. In fact, the church in the first century met in public places. They met in homes. Uh, the, the church never built buildings uh, per se. They started in Acts 2, meeting on the grounds of the Jewish temple, uh, for example. It's like where we could meet, that's where we'll meet. So, But a lot of modern day things have got people in the idea. Nonetheless, come back to the subject, uh, people have this idea that, you know, if I go to church, quote unquote, again, false, false premise there, that that's all that's required. In fact, uh, I have in my past been member of congregations that thought, the faithful are those that are at every service. Now, to a degree, I mean, showing up, assembling with the saints is required. Hebrews 10, 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. But I remember where the definition of faithfulness was that and that only. Who are the faithful members of the congregation? Those that are there at this time, this time, and this time uh, every week. And back in that day, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, which was the tradition uh, that existed uh, back in the time that I'm talking about. And if you were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, you were faithful. And there were exceptions if you had to work. Hebrews 10.25 doesn't include that exception. But there were exceptions that those people had made, and then you're still faithful. Who are the faithful members of the church? Those that are there at every service. They're the pre-member. Not, not anything about outside of the assembly. Listen, Christianity isn't just lived among the saints during times that the church comes together. Christianity is 24 hours a day, every day, for all of your life. And that is what we need to focus on, and it's going to be where we start our thoughts. The hope that Christians have isn't just about a part-time, I mean, assembling with the saints, that's the easiest thing we have to do. That's a place, when, I, when you're among faithful brethren, you're at a place of peace and comfort and edification and exhortation. You're where people got your back. I mean, here in the assembly, that that's the most comfortable time of my life, and I hope it is for all the brethren's lives. There's no difficulty in that. There's no challenge in that. We're not being attacked by the world or anybody else. We're, we're in the bubble, so to speak. Well, the hope that Christians have requires a continuation of faithfulness till the end of our lives. In Colossians 1, 21 through 23, says, And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which was under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So you think about the wording there, right? Is to continue in the faith. Not to start or to show up, but to keep on keeping on till the end. In Hebrews, the third chapter, uh, I want to give you verses 1 through 6, and then Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 14, which the text says this, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house had more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. 
And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, notice this, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Down to verse 14. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Ladies and gentlemen, you must do more than participate. You have to keep on until the end. And you do that because you're motivated, right? You're going towards something. Like, I'm headed somewhere. Christianity is not walking on the treadmill. You're not moving and staying in one place. And that is because we have confidence in our Lord's promises. We trust Him. We have faith in Him. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. I know I'm moving towards somewhere because I trust in God. Now, what is that promise? 1 John 2.25, This is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. I'm going towards that promise. So I have to keep on keeping on. I have to endure. Hebrews 10.36 says, For ye have need of patience, that word means endurance, that after ye have done the will of God, notice that, after ye have done the will of God, you might receive the promise, eternal life, that we talk about in 1 John 2.25. In that process... Here's why I titled this lesson the way that I did. The process of eternal life, getting to eternal life, has to include a mindset of competitiveness. I want you to notice the scriptures that teach us this. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. You think about that. Running a race. Why? To receive the crown. The crown striveth, fighting, self-control, not a corruptible crown, but an incorruptible crown. You fight, not as shadow boxing, so to speak, not as beating the air. Paul said he keeps his body under subjection so that he's not a castaway. He told the evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fight the fight of faith. Hold on. What about people that have no fight in them? They just want to show up. I, I remember being in elementary school, Garfield Elementary School in Steubenville, Ohio, and I, I've always been a competitive person. And we would play blast ball is what we called it. It's called dodgeball by most people. But we played blast ball. And we would have teams. And there were certain people in our grade, in our PE class, that they just, they didn't want to compete. They would sh shrink back to the back and be up against the wall, which is just terrible place to be because... There are people, and I was one of them, that's throwing for your head. And this was back in the day when, you know, it wasn't, hey, you're going to get in trouble for hurting somebody. It was it was blast ball. I mean, you're, somebody's going to cry or you didn't throw it hard enough. And it was that rubber ball. That thing stung like crazy. Well, if you're smart, you're up closer to the half court position where you could catch it if somebody's throwing it. Uh, where, where you, you have the opportunity then to turn and throw it right back. 
Well, at the end, you'd have people that were up, huddled up against the wall. And I, re- I remember multiple times there was these three people that they would just, they would be in a group. I mean, it was just the easiest target. And when they were on my team or on the other team, didn't matter. If they were on the same team, they'd be huddled up together. I do not understand for the life of me. I even talked to them. I remember telling this girl, Sarah, I said, don't be up against the wall. When the ball hits you, your head's going to hit the wall. It's going to hurt. Run, move, get out. No, I'm afraid. And the gym teacher's like, you're, you're staying in there. You know what? They always ended up in tears and were the easiest targets because they were grouped up. So the, the bullies, of course, would come and throw that ball as hard as humanly possible at that group because you're almost guaranteed to hit one of them. Sometimes you got two of them with one throw and smash Every time that somebody was in tears, they just had no drive to compete. They just like surrender, surrender. You think that type of person is going to make it in the life of a Christian? Life of a Christian is not simple. You have to have endurance. That's why the words are in the Bible. Fight, endure, strive, right? If you want to get to heaven, you got to get the dog out in you. You got to figure out how to be competitive. It is not that we are directly fighting against Satan, but indirectly, he is our adversary and the world is his kingdom. He's the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 that's spoken of. And we're fighting against him. We, we wrestle, we fight against those, those things that are evil, right? The Bible teaches us to put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Can you imagine somebody in medieval times going to be a knight and and they put on the armor and they're out there with a sword going, I hope nobody comes at me. I hope nobody comes at me. I hope nobody comes at me. That's not somebody who's jumping into the fight. They're not even running. They're not even getting away. They're not even scattering. They're doing nothing. They're just hoping they're going to win the battle by standing there and shaking in their boots and probably soiling their undergarments. Folks, 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, Paul said, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love him at his appearing. He fought. He ran. He endured. He kept the faith because there's a prize. Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You've got to go after it. You can't just say, I'm going to show up and somehow uh, by standing still, I'm going to achieve eternal life. No. I want you to think about something. Matthew chapter 25. There's somebody that got something. But it wasn't a trophy. And he was a participant. In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus gives a parable, and he's talking about, if the context goes back to Matthew 24, 35, and all the way through chapter 25, he's talking about the judgment day. He gives a parable. It's often referred to as the parable of the talents. It says, The kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. So I want you to think about this. The parable sets forth a principle that's very important, that's going to be used in judgment. That's the context here. The Lord expects out of you what you are capable of. And you are capable of at least one thing. Well, let's continue. It says, He that received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them five other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and he reckoned with them. Now look. Here are people that did different levels of work. And one of them who decided not to follow the Lord's instructions and just did nothing. 
He did nothing but participate in the sense that he took the talent. And you could even argue he did a work. In his mind, his work was, I'm going to bury this one. He's even going to make an excuse as to why he did it. He is the people that hid up against the wall in gym class during blast ball. Well, I was out there and I went and hid, even though there's no place to hide. Picking up. Verse 19 of Matthew 25. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said to him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I've gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, notice this, here's the excuse. Lord, I knew that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. Now let's talk about the sentencing. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. Wait, he's a participant. <laughs> I'll back up. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. But wait, he didn't go and give the talent to somebody else. <laughs> he said, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury, meaning interest. Take therefore the talent from him and give it to him which hath ten talents. So listen, not only does he not get a participation trophy, but even that one talent that he had is now taken from him. He gets nothing. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, ladies and gentlemen, is our Lord telling you how he's going to judge. Mere participants lose whatever they even had. I want you to think about what he says in John 15, 1 and 2. He says to his disciples, and this is the last week of his life on earth physically. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit." You do not get rewarded just for existing or being a participant. In another context, in Matthew 13, 10 through 13, the disciples came unto him and said to him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He had just taught the parable of the sower. And this is prior to him explaining the parable. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not for him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore spake I to them in parables, because they sing, see not, hearing, hear not, neither do they understand. Even in different context, those that do not have are going to lose anything that they do have, and they're not going to be rewarded with anything good of the hands of the Lord. You remember last Tuesday's podcast? Those people even that think they've stored up, Ezekiel 18, 24, 
When the righteous turneth away from his righteousness, committeth iniquity, and doeth that according to the abomination of the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. And his trespass that he trespassed, and his sin that he sinned, and them shall he die. That is our Lord's judgment. Therefore, I can say with all certainty that God does not pass out participation trophies in the here and now or in the there and then. So one might ask, does that mean that we live under a rewards-based system? My answer to that, and I'm going to use the scriptures to prove it, is to a degree, and I will explain that as we go forward, to a degree, yes, we do live under a works-based reward system. And such has been the case in the Old Testament, meaning under the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, uh, and in Christ. Let me give you three references. One from Jeremiah the prophet, another from Jesus' own mouth, and another from the pen of John. In Jeremiah 17, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 26 and 27, he says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come, and the glory of his Father with his angels. And then shall he reward every man according to his works. Then John, to the seven churches of Asia Minor, in the book of Revelation, says in chapter 22, verse 12, quoting Jesus, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. It is abundantly clear. And listen, there are people in life that feel that they're entitled to things for different reasons. Maybe they're entitled to something because, like where, where I grew up uh, in, in the housing projects, if I were to go back there, uh, I can pretty much guarantee, I know, I know one time when I went back there after adulthood, that you know what, the next generation, meaning people that I grew up with that weren't dead or in prison, that they were living in the same housing projects that their mother or father, generally it wasn't mother and father, lived in, and they did the same things their parents did, and a lot of times worse. I remember uh, going back, and and there was a, a kid that I knew, uh, played football, he wasn't good enough to get a free college ride, but you know, you know he played football, and he was sitting on the porch, and he was sitting there uh, where, I think it was like right next door to where his, his mother had lived, and he was sitting on the porch with his bottle in a bag, uh, guessing based on my recollection, it was a 40-ounce bottle of beer. Well, guess what? That's what he grew up seeing. And he used the same system perfectly capable, perfectly able of work to choose not to, to get something for nothing, a sense of entitlement. And he felt that way because he believed that he had been wronged and his ancestors had been wronged and that people in America owed him something. So he had a sense of entitlement. That's the way people look at God. Like, he owes them eternal life. Listen, nobody owes you, whoever you are, anything. You're not entitled to anything. So if you have that mindset, you need to understand that you, with that mindset, no matter what else you do, will absolutely 100% find eternal damnation. Because entitlement is unscriptural. And who you are and whose you are, on the other end of the spectrum, people that are wealthy 
and they feel that people owe them something because they're wealthy or people that are highly educated feel a sense of superiority and they're entitled to certain types of respects, people that have titles next to their name, PhD, et cetera, et cetera. You think somebody owes you something? Nobody owes you jack. Nobody owes you anything. And when you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, what you have or have not, what you have been given in this world or given not, isn't going to matter. What color your skin is, what heritage you have, how many languages you speak, how many skills you have accumulated on earth, how many houses you own, how many boats, how many cars, how many garages you have, whatever it is on any side of the spectrum, what you have or have not, and for whatever reason that you have or have not, our Lord is not going to judge you with respect of persons. And Romans, the second chapter, Verses 1 through 10. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judges. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doeth the same thing. So the judgment that's being condemned here is hypocrisy. Same thing as Matthew 7, 1 through 5. He says, But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the rich of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance, but after thy hardness and impotent heart treasures up thyself, wrath against the day of wrath and revelation, the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance, there's the point of our lesson, right? In well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that do evil, of the Jew first and also the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. Listen, our world has long educated people the wrong way, teaching that you can get something because of who you are or whose you are or what you've been through, or different types of things. You see commercials on, on, on uh, television uh, where certain group of people suffered in the Holocaust. Uh, so I guess I just identified the group of people. And because of that, you should contribute to this fund and help survivors. Why? Just because they've been through hardship? What about other people that have been through hardship? And then those other people start saying that thing, right? Well, if they get something, then I get something too. Listen, no. Nobody owes you. Nobody deserves something because they've been through a hard time. Most people on earth have been to some degree through a hard time. I grew up in many hard times. My brother and I grew up with no chance of a college degree. Even after I moved in with my father, there wasn't money to send me to college. Now, who knows what happened to my siblings afterwards uh, because there was a different standard. I had a stepmother, so the standard changed uh, for the other two. Uh, but for me, it was, you got to work. I'm glad I went through that because the Bible teaches that. Well, But the world we live in today we, we have a government that says, no, we'll just wipe away debt for certain people. We'll, we'll wipe away uh, your, your college loans and, and these types of things. For what? what? Why does taxpayers have to foot the bill for somebody else? I, I don't want to get into a rant here. I, I know I'm starting to. But the mentality, folks, isn't preparing people to face the judgment of God. 
It's not at all. It's teaching people to build up excuses like the one talent man. And that is a detriment to the salvation of people's souls. And it starts early. It starts in the home with parents teaching it and then the school system teaching it. Yet one of the greatest false teachers on earth is the United States public school system. If you don't see the evil there, you are blind and deaf. Because the, and it's not just now, it's, it's been my whole life, the public school system has miseducated people and given false senses of morals. And they have more time with children than parents do. It's insane, folks. It's absolutely insane how much doctrination goes through, how much brainwashing young people go through. And why does generation after generation get worse? It starts at home. We talked about this in our podcast uh, on Sunday, looking at 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. You know, you, you, fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. That means you're going to have to fight the indoctrination of the world. And if you're wise, you're going to understand that evil communications corrupt good manners, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, and keep them from as much of it as possible during their years uh, wherein they're most influenced. Because the idea that they're going to gain eternal life because God owes them something or because they were just alive or because they did just this one thing and they've participated in one thing is absolutely false, absolutely wrong. It's the idea that a corrupt person doing community service makes them a good person. No, no. No, come on, people, come on. When we look at the scriptures, the emphasis is keep going. Don't get tired. You're going to reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7 through 9. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You got to take the quid out of you. Who's the Lord reward? Eternal life to. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I mean, come on. It can't be clearer than this, right? Now, I made a statement. I asked the question, does this mean that there is a works-based reward system? And I said, to a degree, yes. And I said I would explain that further. So before we move on, I want to bring this point up. We have to realize that salvation when we're looking at eternal life for those who were once lost is not a works only system. So it is to a degree a works-based system, but works alone apart from Jesus are useless. I had brought up John chapter 15 verses one and two earlier. If you go down further to verses four and five of John 15, he says to the disciples, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You can't be saved without Jesus. You have to understand that. So that's why it is, to a degree, a works-based system. Fruit of righteousness is by Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, Paul said that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. Fruit of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. So I am not going to be able to sit there and boast 
about my works. I'm not going to be able to sit there and say, look at what I have done to achieve, achieve eternal life. Because without Christ, I'm not doing anything. I, got, I made a point earlier about community service doesn't make a good person. Well, hey, listen, without Jesus, all my works do not make a good person. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. Not of works, lest any should boast, verse 9. That doesn't mean works don't matter. See, people go on to two extremes, right? It's either all works or no works. The very next verse says, For we are his workmanship, created into Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It is both Jesus and our works. If you remove Jesus from that, you've missed the point. You know, we talked about on the 14th of January, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that, at what Jesus did. And when we look at the scriptures, Paul is writing the saints in Rome, in Romans chapter 5. He said in verse 6 to 11, for when, yet we, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commanded his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have received now the atonement. They were alive at the time that Jesus was put to death, Paul and those he's writing to. And at the time that Jesus was put to death, even though they were alive, they were not capable of saving themselves. It took the work of Christ to give them the ability to be justified through the shedding of his blood. And then they're righteous living thereafter. His part as well as our part. Let me give you this. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. It says, For we ourselves, and this is Paul writing the evangelist Titus, says, We're sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after the kindness... And love of our God, our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed abundantly through Jesus, or I'm sorry, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Notice what he says next. This is our part. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. God did his part. You do your part. And the language there, they which have believed in God might be careful. That word careful there means to exercise to be anxious about, to be thoughtful about good works. It's not, Jesus did it, I'm good. No, no, no. You got your part too. So as those of us who were once lost, and if you are now a Christian, our good works looking forward to the reward of eternal life. As we work, as we labor, don't forget that that life is through Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13, this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. In verse 20 of 1 John 5, we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true. Even his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Don't say, I know there's not going to be a participation trophy, so I'm working my way to heaven and think that you're capable of doing that 
without the part that Christ played. And understand that. That is the first and most significant part. Because without Him, all your good works mean zilch. Nothing. When we look at the Bible, the Scriptures are clear that Jesus is the source of salvation. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 Notice to whom, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. We are talking earlier about those in Rome in Romans 5, 6 to 11. In the next chapter, Romans 6, 17, God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine delivered unto you. Ladies and gentlemen, there is not going to be a participation trophy on the judgment day. You're going to be rewarded for your works, whether they be good or evil. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Our Lord is not going to say, Enter thou in thy good and faithful servant because you showed up. You're only going to get that if you're obedient continually till the end. Remember, in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He says, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. Then will I profess to them, I never knew you, ye that depart, ye, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You have to do and continue to do the will of the Father to have eternal life. You got to keep on keeping on. Like we talked about in Titus 3.8, and if you read a little bit further into Titus chapter 3, you would see verse 14, let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. So do things that are needful. Don't be unfruitful. Keep producing. If you are that fruit tree, the point of John 15, if you're expected to bear forth fruit, think about a fruit tree. If you got an apple tree, an orange tree, a pear tree, whatever it is, and year after year, it doesn't bring forth fruit. You cut it down. Just being a tree that's supposed to bear fruit is non-productive. Eternal life takes work. Takes work. If it were easy to be saved, many would be. But the fact is, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago in Luke 13, 23 and 24, Send me, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said to them, strive to enter at the straight gate. And that word strive, folks, it means to struggle, to fight, to labor fervently. Strong's number 75. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. If that wasn't clear, if you back up in Matthew chapter 7, I read to you verses 21 through 23. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says, enter at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Meaning there be which go in there at. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. If you have an entitlement mindset, it's not impossible to break. I grew up with that mindset. And in a very short period of time, through my father's instruction on earth, and my father's instruction in heaven, I learned that if I want something, I've got to work to achieve it. You can break the mold. Now look, I'll just use my life for an example. I could step back, I could say, I'd be much more successful in my life if I had generational wealth, if my family would have had money, if I didn't grow up in the housing projects. You know what? I, I would be better off. I can make all those excuses like a lot of people do and feel entitled to receive something for nothing. You know, there are people breaking into our country illegally. 
that think once they step on U.S. soil, they're entitled to something. You know why that is? Because that's the messaging that goes forth from our country. That's what those people have heard America say. Don't let this world corrupt your mind in thinking that you deserve something for nothing. It is utterly false. And that false doctrine gets corrupted into people's minds and they start making up all their excuses. Ah, I could go on. You know what? I don't have a college degree. Couldn't afford to go to college. Played sports, but wasn't good enough uh, to get a, a scholarship. Decided to work instead of try to keep playing football or basketball or baseball or whatever I, I thought I could achieve. I, oh, you know what? I'm not like this other person. Da, 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 da. No. And you could do so spiritually. You could say, if my mother and father would have taught me the scriptures, then I would be a better person. If I had only known the truth sooner. Listen, if today is the first day you've heard the truth, today is the first day you've got the opportunity to do something about it. Don't look back and blame everybody that never told you the truth as a reason why you don't start today. Start today. You can come in at the last hour, folks. You, you know, you can come in now and you can do the work. Even being late, even being late. There, there's a, a parable that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 20. And it's beautiful, you know, because there's sometimes people that learn the truth later in life. And he taught the parable of laborers in the vineyard. And those that came in and, and they have wrought at the last, they get the reward of eternal life. All our Lord cares is that you obey him, not when you started obeying him. And it's an equal reward. That's wonderful, right? Those that go out, whether it's the beginning or the end, look at that parable in Matthew chapter 21 through 16. Today is not too, too late. Stop what you've learned from the world and false teachers and start doing right today. Get a hold of me. I'll help you. I'll show you the truth. We'll talk about it plainly. And you can stop counting on that participation trophy and start looking forward to eternal life. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that in some way this has been edifying or in some way a rebuke. Whatever it is that you need, I hope it has been helpful because it's the Word of God, and the Word of God always works. I thank you for listening. If all goes according to plan, Sunday's podcast, as we continue our study in 1 Peter chapter 3, will hopefully be out, verses 3 through 6. Until then, unless you want to get a hold of me in between, which I would greatly appreciate, I will let you go. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.